Campbell is an amazing guy. I've been wanting to talk with him for a while, so I asked him to come into the studio and sit down with me and have a conversation about life, liberty, and the pursuit of Green Day. Welcome to the show. This is episode two of Ear Bud You. Now, I love musicians, artists, and other creatives. You'll see as we get more into the format of Ear Bud You that I have a penchant for talking with filmmakers, musicians, and of course, authors and writers. And I'm always looking for more. Look, Jared puts out albums of all kinds, including truly phenomenal spiritual and children's CDs. The man is a musical content-producing machine, and I'm in awe of how it all comes together. And we talk a lot about that in the interview. Look, making stuff is hard, right? And you really can't do that without engaging in active listening. When I consult and coach, I talk a lot with clients about active listening, non-defensive listening, and the bad parts of sedentary communication styles that lead us to not making stuff as well as we possibly could. And no joke, listening is hard. We would much rather just jump in with our point and make someone else look like a jackass, but that's not going to do it in the 21st century anymore, right? And now we've got the usual housekeeping. You can connect with Earbud U on Twitter, at Earbud underscore U on Twitter. You can also check us out on Instagram, Earbud U, all smacked together. We tweet and post images on both of those social platforms with the hashtag be part of the show. We're also part of a parent company, Human Services Consulting and Training, HSCT, out of Endicott, New York. So check out the HSCT website at www.hsconsultingandtraining.com. As for Jared Campbell, check him out at jaredcampbell.com. He's on Facebook and, ironically enough, still rocking a MySpace page. Finally, the Blue Project is a great thing that he's going to tell you about, so check that out at thebluproject.com and book Jared for your school or even your church. And now, let's get into it. Hey there, everybody, and welcome to Earbud U, Episode 2. Get your knowledge on through your earbuds. Our special guest for our second podcast episode is Jared Campbell, musician, marketer, entrepreneur, blogger, content designer on YouTube, Facebook, um, also got a random MySpace uh, account still hanging out there sure. with some, some followers. <laughs> um, does a lot of stuff via blogging and many other areas of local, national, and in some cases international exposure. Um, he's also working with local schools, and hopefully he'll talk a little bit about that. Once again, Earbud U is a production of Human Services Consulting and Training. We believe and we emphasize getting peace in your life. Welcome to Earbud U, Jared. How are you doing today? Doing great, man. Good to be here. Awesome, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so Jared and I um, do have a little bit of a, a little bit of a personal relationship. Well, a little bit of a personal relationship. He uh, he plays in my. We dated uh, three years ago. Yeah, it was kind of awesome. <laughs> he was very gentle. <laughs> gentle touch. <laughs> but the personal relationship we have doesn't really tell me what you do exactly. So why don't you tell us? Tell everybody what do you do? Well, I'm a. I'm a musician. I play guitar and I sing. Uh, what I do with that is a little off the beaten path from what normal singer-songwriters do. I spend most of my time in schools, high schools, middle schools, and now elementary schools, kind of using my music as a positive force in kids' lives, um, taking the songs I've written, kind of gearing them towards where students find themselves in life, whatever age group that might be. If they're in elementary school, I'm talking to them, to, talking to them about friendship and respect and you know all those key things that you try to get across at that age if they're in high school you know I'm talking to them about overcoming real life challenges and um, you know not getting into the college of your dreams and what that's like and what the home uh, you know a tough home life is like and how do we get through those things to become 
the people that we're capable of being, even yep. through all that adversity. So awesome. And it's kind of all done through music, you know, through, yep. through songs and different things. Awesome. So no yeah. dance. No dance. There's no dance. There's no interpretive dance in there. There's no booty shaking. There is no, <laughs> there is no dance involved whatsoever. And you're not pulling like a say anything like a John Cusick where you're like holding up, no. the, you know, the boom boxes. Right. <laughs> you know. I wish. In your eyes. <laughs> I, I should do that. The light, the heat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Well, you're uh, you're a musician, and and you know you're also got a lot of stuff online. We're talking about some of the stuff you've got online. Talking about your website, all that. Yeah. Well, uh, well, I think it's weird because most companies probably have a website, mm-hmm. um, which I do, and that's probably one of the least amount. The that's probably the the site that I do the least updating with. <laughs> Which is weird. I need to be way better. SEO. You're not. I, I, I get your hand spanked on the SEO. I know. I know. The gods I of need, Google will come and I get you. I need to be way better at that. I need to spend way more attention to that. Because honestly, the most interaction that I'm getting is not necessarily through the website. The website's great for me, in my case. The, my website's been great for people to go and see what I'm all about. Right. But if they want to interact with me or know what I'm like on the day-to-day or what I'm really up to, you know, week by week, it's... Facebook, it's Twitter. Right. Um, I'm on Instagram mainly because that's the new rage for all the young kids. You know? Right. It's, and it's hard to keep up. You mentioned yeah. MySpace, dude. Nobody has MySpace. Nobody anymore. has a MySpace page. Like, I have MySpace, but it's like it's like that weird cousin you don't talk about anymore. Yeah, I was you know? shocked to find out that you had a MySpace yeah. page. <laughs> I I don't remember the username or password uh-huh. again, though. So for all I know, it's being run by crazies and. Yeah, you know. Well, you know, you're gonna get a you're gonna get a lot of uh, new followers on that MySpace page as a result of this. You Absolutely, this, right? Thousands, millions. <laughs> it's be ridiculous. Absolutely. Although I did find out the other day that apparently Tom, um, the original, you know, yeah. MySpace friend, that Tom guy, the MySpace guy, the Tom the MySpace guy, yeah, he got a uh, he got a buyout from somebody, and uh, he's like, oh, I'm sure, walking around like Southeast Asia taking pictures for Google Plus now. Really? Them on Google That's Plus, the life right there. And gets like a million hits every single time he goes something. Yeah. It's like, hey, I'm Tom from MySpace. It's all it's all you need, man. It's, it's all you need. Well, you talked about how the website kind of really is not a, a driver or a generator for your business, but I still look at you as an entrepreneur. Yeah, I, I shouldn't say that because I kind of I have two websites. I have I always tell people I have like two different lives. I have jaredcampbell.com, which is my all-around singer-songwriter, you know, um, kind of updates as far as if I'm in the studio, what I'm working on, what my tour schedule looks like, you know, outside of schools. Yep. But then I have a whole nother website called jcblueproject.com, mm-hmm. which is totally geared around my school program, which yep. is called the Blue Project. Yep. And I will say that that website is a key component to schools bringing me in. Because yep. schools are not going to check my Facebook page. Schools no. are not going to follow me. Well, sometimes I get people that follow me on Twitter, but... Um, for the most part, if a school wants to know what I'm about and, and what I would bring to their to their school, they want to go to that website because they want to see video clips, they want to hear testimonials, they want right. to see quotes and letters of reference from other, you know, and that's where you get all that. So yeah. to, to, for that, it's totally valuable, totally worth it to, to keep that updated um, and to really spend a lot of attention there. Jared Campbell, I'm not taking away from that, <laughs> but I need to I need to put more elbow grease into that website because it yeah. could be really cool. But. Could be really cool. Yeah, yeah and you know, I, like I said, I've, I've gone in there and I've looked around at it. Um, I was expecting like, I don't know what I was expecting. Like, call me the classic musicians. You know what I was expecting? I was expecting a MySpace page. It's going to be what I was looking for. But 
Um, I did notice I did notice a lot of the work on the Blue Project, and obviously, you know, mm-hmm. that's something that you're that you're passionate about. So, how did you how did you start on that? Like, what was kind of the the rabbit hole that you had to go down and go, hey, well, this is something I want to do. That's weird. I mean, if you had asked me when I, I started playing music when I was in middle school, I got my first guitar when I was in sixth grade and never looked back. My, I mean, my whole life changed after I got my first guitar and became the passion of my life. And I just thought, actually, I knew, you know, if you go and ask a middle school kid what they're going to do when they grow up, they might give you an answer. But mm-hmm. by the time reality sets in outside of high school or college, that answer is probably totally going to be totally different because yeah. of how much people change over that course of middle school, high school. But for me, if you ask me in sixth grade, what are you going to be when you grow up? I tell you, a musician. If you ask me in ninth grade, I'm going to be a musician. If you ask me a senior in high school, I'm going to be a musician. I just knew that I was going to be a musician. I didn't know in what capacity. Honestly, I always thought I was going to just straight up be a worship leader mm-hmm. in churches. You know, I, I never really had thoughts of like, oh, I got to be famous. Like, right. I got to be on MTV. I never really had those thoughts. I, th- I, I just wanted to use my gift for the Lord and, you know, minister in churches and write worship songs that people would sing all over the globe. And my, my whole life really took a shift um, my senior year of high school um, because I really felt a calling to leave the church. <laughs> right. This sounds really weird. Well, but I, I, I felt... But you know your path is... I felt, yeah, I felt a calling from God to say, Jared, the only place you've ever played is in a church. Mm-hmm. And you realize how many people are outside the church that will never come in the church. Right. And I need those people to know that I love them and that I care about them. And I felt a calling into the secular market of music. And to me, it was a calling that I fought because I didn't understand it. I didn't want to do it. I didn't even listen to, you know, when I say secular, it means, you know, Mm non-Christian, non, you know, religious. So I didn't even listen to secular music. All I listened to was worship music or, you know, some contemporary Christian groups like Jars of Clay and um, Delirious and different things. So I didn't know if, I didn't really even know any cover songs, you know. (laughs) And and, um, it was a calling that I really fought for a long time, but then eventually said, you know, God, if this is really the path you want, open the doors and I'll go. And like instantly all these doors started flying open, started traveling the country and playing with national acts and, uh, you know, getting like real recognition from like Billboard magazine. And it was like all this amazing stuff was happening. Yeah. And I could see it all working. But how I got into schools is this. When I was young, still in middle school, growing up as that young musician, just going through life, I lost a friend to suicide when I was in eighth grade. And I was so young that I didn't even understand it. Because, mm-hmm. you know, my friend, he was good looking. He had a lot of friends. He was a great athlete. It was like he had everything going for him. And uh, I had so many questions of like, why would he do that? What and and there was, there was a lot of hurt in my heart too because I was like, why didn't he talk to me? You right. know, why didn't he just call me up and say, hey man, I'm I'm going through some stuff and yeah. here's what it is. Yeah. My heart was broken. I cried so hard at his funeral and just really was left with a lot of questions. And then grew up, you know, and he grew up and and kind of went into this music career. And right at the height of all this stuff happening with my career, um, another kid from my hometown in eighth grade took his life. And I didn't know this kid. To this day, I still don't know his name, and I don't know his reasoning. I don't know anything about this kid. But something happened in my life that it was like something went off and said, I I have to do something. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it is, but I have to do something. Right. 
And all I knew is I had six, six strings in my hand, you yeah. know, and I had some, some songs that I had written about getting through life, you know, when, when life kind of gets you down. Because um, you got to see, like, even though I was in the secular industry, I, I was still writing songs about my faith, absolutely. But I was also trying to create songs that everyone could relate to. Right. Not just people in the church, but people in the world and people outside of the church in a, in a real way. Like, I wanted to create songs that people could really relate to and allow that music to be a powerful um, impact on their life. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to just create noise. I wanted to create music with purpose. And so I realized I had some songs that had some purpose and set, had some hope behind them. And I went to a high school and I sat down with a principal. I said, hey, listen, I would love to come and just play a concert for your students. Would you let me do that? And I don't know why he said yes, but <laughs> okay. he said yes. Right. And we scheduled it out. And this one afternoon, he had all of his students come into the auditorium. We're talking like ninth through 12th grade, probably a thousand kids or something. Mm -hmm. And... Um, and he said, have at it. And mm -hmm. I just went up and I played a show. I didn't really have an agenda. I wasn't talking about bullying. I wasn't talking about, you know, a lot of the things that I incorporate now in my program. I was just having fun. Right. I looked at it as, all right, I'm getting these kids out of class. So they love me already. <laughs> exactly, yeah. But Woo! then but then at the end of it, I wanted to leave them with something. So the end sure. of it, I, I played this song that I wrote called Catch a Glimpse of Blue, which is all about looking past life's obstacles in the form of clouds. I, I kind of paint this picture of, life being this overcast day where all you see is clouds and sometimes those struggles and those obstacles in life can seem like those clouds and it's like man that's all i'm looking at right now but behind all those clouds every single day no matter how cloudy it ever is there's always a blue sky behind it yeah and i kind of related to the students i said listen you know i lost a friend of mine because nobody told him about that blue sky you know, he was only looking at the clouds and nobody said, hey, man, dude, in a year from now, those clouds aren't even going to be there. Right. Like, you don't even know what's ahead of you right now. Push through it. You know, there's something waiting for you. So I kind of relate that blue sky to like um, purpose in life and in and all the great things that life has to offer. Because mm -hmm. way too many times students are way too focused on the clouds. They're way too focused on all the negativity in their life. Right. And they need a positive force. So that's so. I played this song. I said thank you. I left, and then that night, my MySpace page at the time <laughs> uh, blew up with messages from kids just saying, "Oh man, I never looked at life that way," or "Wow, man, I've been going through some serious stuff, and that's everything I needed mm -hmm. like to get me through the rest of this year, the rest of my life." Yep. And then I started getting messages from faculty saying. That was the best assembly we've ever had at our school. Right. Yeah. I'm thinking <laughs> Please myself, come back. <laughs> I was thinking to myself, like, I wasn't doing an assembly. I was right. <laughs> putting on a show. But really, it was an assembly. I mean, in terms of, like, what schools are used to. And so, like, that school ended up talking to the next school down the road. And they said, man, you should get this guy to come in and play his guitar for your kids. And it just steamrolled into this thing. You know, the first couple of years that I did it, I didn't have any... I really... There was not a part... If you were to ask me you know, out of high school into my career as a musician, if you were to ask me like, hey, where do you see yourself in 10 years? The mm -hmm. last place I would have said was a high school auditorium stage. <laughs> like, right, yeah. I never intended to be a youth speaker. I never intended to, to do school assemblies. Right. It just like God opened up that door to, to, to be there. And, you know, it, it's really all I do now. It, the first the first couple of years that I did it, I was saying, the first couple of years that I did it, I really only did a handful of schools. Yeah. I mean... 
it maybe four or five schools per year for the first couple of years. And then I was asked to go and speak for a, a New York State counselors conference for all the all these counselors from New York, school counselors from New York State got together and I did like a keynote presentation of kind of what I do in schools. Mm-hmm. And so that coming year I did like seven schools. Like yeah. you know, just out of that just alone. Exploded. You know, yeah. you know, out of out of exposure. But in hindsight, you know, here I am playing in all these schools and everything, and I go back to that calling of God kind of saying, I need you outside of the walls of the church. It all makes sense now. Never made sense when I felt that calling. Never made sense when I even took those first steps. But it all makes sense now because of how schools just completely shut God out of every part of their school system. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a separation of church and state. And here's the reality. If out of high school, if I had become a Christian artist and that's the way I was marketed, Mm -hmm. you know, as a worship leader, as a Christian artist, um, I would never be... I would never be asked to come to schools. Right. And even if schools maybe caught wind of what I was doing and then they found out what my career was really all about, there may be, you know, there may be a few, I shouldn't say never because God can make a way where there seems to be no way. But as far as like the, the reach that I have now, God knew what he was doing. Right. And um, that's not to say that I'll never be marketed, you know, in the Christian arena because I, I firmly believe with all my heart that that's where, I mean, that's home for me, mm-hmm. you know. Um but he's really used this whole school program really as ministry. I mean, I'm ministering to kids, kids right. that are brokenhearted, beaten up by the devil, believing that their life is worth nothing, that they are worth nothing, that no one cares about them, and that they should just go home every night and cut up their thighs and their arms because that's the only way they're going to feel better, mm-hmm. you know? And he's really been using the music that he's given me to, uh, to leave some real impacts in kids' lives, you know? And so... Um, that's kind of my whole journey into how yeah. I got started in schools. Well, and obviously, you know, being you started off, you know, a major identity as a, a quote unquote Christian artist, mm-hmm. um, and then moved out of that into more secular arenas. Um, but then have then kept that core of of what you know you started with. Yeah. But of, but also have expanded into those other areas. You've uh, as they say in the, in the field of entrepreneurship, you've diversified yourself. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and you've, absolutely. you've built other footprints in other areas. Yeah. Um, and so this is, this sounds like just another footprint in another, not, well, not just another, but another footprint absolutely. in another area. It's funny because I always look at my career as like a pie chart and like my family <laughs> and like all my close friends laugh at me when I say this because I look at my career as this pie and for me, the blue project is probably the biggest piece of the pie right, right now. Because it's where most of my attention is, most of my travel goes, you know, most of my calendar is filled up with the Blue Project. But then, you know, there's a piece of the pie that is um, still a very active worship leader mm-hmm. in our church that we go right. to, yep. um, you know, leading there every single work weekend, leading the worship there, and writing worship songs and doing different, um, I, I do play churches, you know, during the school season, it's usually only like once a month, but mm-hmm. in the summer, I'll play a quite a bit more once the school's out I'll do more churches and stuff and so that's a definite real piece of the pie that like I said I feel someday will become you know the 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 big piece the big piece yeah. um and then you know and then there's like the you know the other piece of the pie that's like weird gigs <laughs> just like weird weddings and you know requests to come and play at bar mitzvahs and Right. Yeah. You know. Well, you, you know, you're. I mean, hey, hey. My uncle Vinny's <laughs> having his fortieth birthday. 
<laughs> you come play uh, Don't Stop Believing He Loves Journey. <laughs> he loves you. Know? <laughs> yeah. so, some guy yelled at Freebird in the back. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah. That, praise the Lord, that's a very small piece of pie. <laughs> but, but I mean, it's, it's a piece there, you know. <laughs> Nevertheless, yeah. Might be 5% five, five of that pie, but it's, it's, yep. it's there, you yep. know. Okay. Well, you know, I'm a, I'm a person who is, a, as an entrepreneur and as a blogger and as a conflict resolution guy and as a mediator and just all the other different areas I'm, I'm differentiated in, mm-hmm. um, I'm fascinated by process. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite web shows right now is um, Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee, the, the Jerry Seinfeld yeah. series where he you know, gets this old car and he, um, I said this on the, on the last podcast too, but where he gets on gets his car and he goes in and he picks up a comic that he knows, like mm-hmm. Larry David or um, the last one he picked up Howard Stern, okay. you know, and he takes him around in this car and he interviews him with a little GoPro camera oh, and cool. he attaches it to the car and he drives around with them, or Tina Fey, you oh, know, yeah. and they talk about Louis C.K. and they talk about kind of the process that they go through in order to make their comedy. Yeah. I'm fascinated by process. Yeah. Um, as a person who, you know, has a background in the arts and has a BFA, I'm, I'm all about that. Mm-hmm. And so talk to me a little bit about kind of your process for building, for building music. Like what is that? What does that look like? Because that's—I mean—you're a creative, you're a classical, mm-hmm. you know, creative kind of guy. Mm-hmm. What does that process look like? From you know, maybe I don't want to maybe I don't want to walk to, to shoot the nuts, but yeah, you know, kind of, what's what's the process look like for you? Like, is it a, is a bolt of inspiration from the from the sky, or from, or do you do you pray about it and yeah. you go in a room and then you you come out and bam, it's there, or is it more like you know? You're changing the twins' diapers, mm-hmm. and I did. Oh, there's a song. Dude, I did write a hit song called "Poopy Diapers," <laughs> and it's probably going to be huge in Japan. But uh, no, that's a great question. People always ask, "How do you write your songs? How does it happen? You know, what's what is right?" Like you said, the process. Yeah, the process. I mean, you know, um, I would say that some of you know, if you were to ask me, what are your favorite songs that you've written? I, you know, I might have a handful of favorites, and a lot of those favorites came from that thunderbolt kind of right you know i man i just got hit with inspiration and it took me 10 minutes and i wrote a song that i will play at every single show because it's kind of a staple of what i do uh perfect example of that is a song i wrote called the fight which i wrote for a friend of mine who lost his leg to cancer um in high school but he went on to become a paralympic downhill skier and uh, the the whole song doesn't reference skiing it doesn't reference you know, anything like that. It doesn't even reference cancer. Yeah. The song's called The Fight. And right. so it's totally applicable to anybody going through any kind of struggle. Right. You know? And I I knew that I wanted to write a song about this guy. And, I, you know, I just knew what I wanted the end result to be. A song that leaves people inspired, built up, no matter what they're going through. And literally, when it came time to write this song... I just, I just felt it one day. I remember I was, I think we're like unloading groceries or something. And I remember being in the kitchen with my wife and I just started getting this, oh, oh, you know, I started yeah. getting this, like this chorus line. And I told her, I'm like, Mirdy, I gotta go. I gotta, I'll be back. And I, you know, I run up in the office and jot down all these lyrics and I come out, you know, it was like, I came down, I said, tell me what you think about this. And I play through like the first verse in the chorus. She's like, oh, it's really good. Okay, I'll be right back. And then I ran upstairs and then I, I write the second. It's funny. I wrote the second verse and I wrote, you know, the, you know whatever. Yeah. And I came down and I, like, I had the song. You a piece of paper. Like, right. created fire. Yeah, right. And like I wrote this song. And, but what's weird about that song actually is that 
um, I wrote this song. I felt really good about it. And immediately after writing it, I started playing it out. Yeah. I immediately started getting reaction. But when I, I hadn't recorded it yet. And as the, the process of getting in the studio to actually put the song down, I always felt like the song was missing a bridge. And um, so I wrote the song, and then I probably didn't write the bridge to the song until like a year or so later. Okay. Um, and the bridge came to me so quick too. It just yeah. and it all just came together. And then there's other songs. Yeah. And then there's other songs <laughs> that I've been working on for years that are still not done. I've got a song called Adirondack Sunrise, and I was heading to a show in the Adirondacks mm-hmm. very early in the morning, and it was dark. And uh, man, as I'm driving to the show, all of a sudden that sun comes up, and it just hit me like I don't know, like a breath of fresh air just woke me up, woke right. up my spirit, you know. Yeah. And um, I got to the school that day, which was the school was even in the Adirondacks, and I told all the students, I said, "I'm going to write a new song, and it's going to be called Adirondack Sunrise," <laughs> and they were all pumped. They were like, right. "Yes, you know, we can't wait to hear it." That was like two and a half years ago. <laughs> and I'm still, I'm still, still working. Yeah. I have a really killer chorus down. Yeah. And that's about it. That's about um, it, yeah. But that song will be finished because it has to be. Um, but, you know, I just, the process for me really starts with what do I want to say? Right. What's right. the end game? You know? Because okay. if I'm just like, oh, here's my guitar, here's a chord structure that I like. And if I just start, like, because I've done it, I just start making up lyrics, and I, halfway into it, I'm like, where the heck am I going? Right, yeah. It's like it's like the guy who says, man, I'm going to go on a road trip today. Yeah. But he has no destination. Yeah. And the next thing you know. <laughs> he's just getting the car and driving. He's in the Adirondacks, and he's like, crap, I don't want to be in the Adirondacks, you know? And he's playing Adirondack Sunrise. And he starts to write a song that doesn't go anywhere, and he's feeling defeated. No, but like, you know, it's, it's like, it's... You know, driving, taking a trip is a perfect analogy for me. Like, if I don't have a destination in mind, there's no point in getting out of the car. Mm-hmm. If I don't have a destination in mind for a song, there's no point in grabbing the guitar um, and even working for me. Uh, what's weird is that a lot of my songwriting has been focused around the Blue Project. And right. what can I say to kids? What can I say to, you know, teenagers? What can I say that relates to where they're at in life? You know, so I ended up writing a song about a girl who was horribly bullied in school to the point of being placed in a hospital to battle the depression that she felt from the way she was treated at school. That song's become the flagship song of the program because of how many kids can just relate to where she was at. But, you know, if I wasn't playing in schools, I probably would have never written a song about a girl who was bullied. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I would say over the past couple of years, there's been a big emphasis on, you know, what can I... What kind of songs can I write that'll leave an impact on that age group specifically? Right. Um, so I just this past year, actually this past summer, it was pretty cool. My process for songwriting was because I have twins right now; they're 22 months, and um, they are the joy of my life. But when you try to be creative and <laughs> write a song, it gets very difficult. Gets, yeah. <laughs> so, so over the summer, what I would do is I would just tell my wife, like, "Hey, I gotta uh, see, I, you know." My office is my car a lot of times because I'm traveling to sh- from show to show. It's where I spend most of my time. Um, and I do have a home office, but as far as a creative office, I don't find that in the car as much as I probably could. But um, 
I just over the summer, I just needed a place to go. So I would just leave the house and I would just like head out to a park or just to a place where really there was nobody around. Because I don't like being around people. It's yeah. weird. I'm, yeah. I'm a people person for <laughs> career-wise, but right. when I'm not in my career or whatever, I don't like to be around anybody. Yeah. You know, I like to be home, eating a Hot Pocket with my kids. Right? And so, but when I'm writing these songs, like I would go out to these, you know, remote places and just really hammer them out and so like over the summer I wrote a ton of kids songs and I started uh, an elementary program with the Blue Project which is totally taken off and I wrote songs like Love Like a Dog which is all about friendship and the way dogs you know show this unconditional love and what would happen if we showed that kind of love towards one another um, I wrote songs like uh, Do the Right Thing and No Bullies Allowed and probably the favorite of all is a song called Superhero mm -hmm. um, which every kid loves superheroes at that okay. age in elementary school. And I talk about how they can be superheroes every day and just the way that they treat each other and the yeah. way that they act, you know? Um, so, you know, as far as that process for songwriting went, I was very, you know, honed in on, okay, I got to make these lyrics really, really dumbed down. Right. You know, I got to make the melody so catchy that the kids are going to sing it to their mom and dad for the next, like, week. Yeah, great. Thank you. Month. That's going to be yes. my house now. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. Absolutely. I was going to love that. Absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, but then there's other songs that, you know, I'll write, uh, especially from a worship aspect. You know, when I'm writing worship songs that I intend to sing in church and have others sing along to, mm -hmm. I get really focused in on what are these songs saying? Right. And, uh, and, and, how can these songs be sung by me and then by also, you know, some lady in her 60s who's, you know, maybe a widow and, you know, kids are grown and, and maybe they don't even have anything to do with her. Maybe she's in a real tough spot in life. How can this song be sung out of a place of my heart and be sung out of a place of her heart that are kind of going in the same direction, yeah. giving God glory mm -hmm. through the good things, through the bad things? Um, so, so there's a lot of thought that goes into that end result. Um, and, and, you know, really, it's, it's picking that end result of what is, what's the song going to say. And then I, for musically, I always, I always look at it as, hey, if I'm doing a song about, you know, uh, for instance, like that song, The Fight, about a friend who lost his leg to cancer. If this song is going to be an inspiring song, if that's the motivation behind the song, then, man, I don't want to play like a slow jam, you know. Right. You know, I mean, I, well, I want the song to pump. You yeah, know? I want the exactly. Song, I want people to, like, put that song on when they go to the gym and be like, I can bench 500 pounds, you know. <laughs> you look for Eye of the Tiger. Yeah, exactly. Rocky, you, you know? know, yeah. So so with the end result comes with, it comes the, the mood of the song or, you know, kind of melodically. What is it, you know, what's, how's it going to translate, you know? Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of that. And I think lyrically for me over the years, I look back at some of the songs I wrote in my early 20s, I'm like, what the heck was I thinking? Like, you know, mm -hmm. some of the songs just seem so corny, cheesy. Wow. Um, we all do that. We yeah, yeah, that. yeah. We all do that. Yeah. <laughs> when you're in your 30s, you're that. like, uh, yeah. what? <laughs> you know, and and so I think lyrically, I really try to um, really, really focus in on leaving uh, a universal thought behind the song yeah. that, that still can speak differently to different people. Absolutely. It's weird. It's like, yeah. you know, well, I, I might write a song about about God and how he is everything to me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some chick might be like, that song totally represents my relationship with my dog. 
you know. Right. And <laughs> yeah, you know, <laughs> the, uh, it is what it is. You know? Right. Exactly. But, well, well, once you put it out there in the world, mm-hmm. you know, you don't have any real control after that mm-hmm. about how people take that in or what um, associations or illusions that they make. Because you know, in an earlier conversation, you know, they come at it through their lens. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever the lens of that experience is, which. Mm-hmm. Um, as a person who used to be a visual and I, well, yeah, it's still a visual writer but thinks visually like when I write screenplays I write a fair number of screenplays mm-hmm. um, or even when I write a blog post I, I never get into my blogs but a blog post but I tend to write very cinematically Yeah. so I start like way up here 10,000 you know, yeah. feet up in the air Right. and then my struggle is to kind of hone, hone that in to like one little idea mm-hmm. um, Twitter is, is ridiculous for me because Forces me to yeah. be 140 characters, yeah, <laughs> you know. So I got to be really, really engaging. Like, man, like Hassan has a lot to say. He's got like 50 posts, 50 and it's posts. Like, you know, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you you got to try to keep it short. short and sweet, right? Can't write a no- well. And some authors do write novels on on Twitter. They have started using that for as a form of you know microblogging. Yeah, about their 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 process. But um, my point is that just you know it seems to me as though you. You do. You've got that that sort of delicacy and that sort of sensitivity to where you can go into a certain place with for this audience again with that end goal in mm-hmm. mind. You can go into that certain place, or you can go into this other place, or you can go into this other place. You've got all. The, I think of it like um, we talk about a pie chart, mm-hmm. but I think of it like slots, or you know, mm-hmm. like like lockers in a school. Yeah, you can yeah, go yeah. into different lockers and just pull out whatever stuff you want. Yep. And to me, that's the sign of a dare I say mature artist. You know, okay. or you know, I still think I'm immature. <laughs> I think my wife does too. Probably, well, so does so does my wife. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but I mean, a, an artist that knows their craft, yeah, um, and really knows kind of what the process of their craft is. Um, how do you how do you deal with you know the the struggles of being a musician? Because it's not all. I mean, it's like even for me, it's not all roses and mm-hmm. perfume. You know. Sometimes there are days you just got to grind it out. You know, mm-hmm. have you ever? I love, and I love the movie High Fidelity. Mm-hmm. Uh, with John Cusack, I love mm-hmm. that movie. <laughs> um, have you ever just had that moment where you're like, I just want to chuck it all in and go work at a coconuts somewhere? Um, yeah, I have actually, and I never thought that I would. Um, it, but it was at a really, really kind of hard place for me business wise. Um, you know, there. Okay, like there was there was experiences that I had. Uh, early on in my career, um, I would play, you know, some different bars. I would play different gigs that were just kind of money makers, mm-hmm. you know, um, but no real purpose. I wasn't there to inspire and encourage people. I was there to right. just pacify their crappy lives, you know. <laughs> and uh, and I remember playing some places, man, where it just felt like if I was there or if an iPod was on, it just right. wouldn't. <laughs> and you know you get moments like that where you just feel like ah oh, like you know is it even worth me being here um and you know i mean like even through those times though i was still really grateful and never felt like i could ever complain because here i was like getting paid to play my guitar you mm-hmm. know what i'm saying so right. there was kind of that thing of like i've always said like i have no there's no room to complain uh in my career because I'm doing what I wanted to do when I got my first guitar, right. my sixth string, you know, and what's that phrase, you know, do what you love and you'll never have to work a day in your life. life. Yeah. yeah. Yep. That's, I mean, that's where I'm at. Uh, there was a time in my career though where um, 
you know, the crap hit the fan, so to speak. Um, I, I was working with, um, you know, some management and I was, you know, I kind of had a team of people around me and like literally kind of overnight, it all just went away, you know, through a series of some, you know, unfortunate things. Uh, really, it kind of came down to just we, we were all taking different paths in life and it was just, you know, sometimes relationships just kind of go in different directions. Yep. And when that happened, I almost, I almost felt like my career had fallen apart. Um, and in turn, that kind of started messing with my confidence as a musician. Uh, I struggled with my confidence greatly through that through that period. Um, and it's weird how business can affect your confidence, even in your craft, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but, you know, like I said, from a business aspect, things really did not look good. Mm-hmm. From a, from a, you know, musical aspect, I was still the same guy, I had the same voice, yeah. had the same guitar, you know, singing the same songs. But the confidence really was not there. And I remember leaving a show just, I just felt like I didn't get through, you know, all these voices started coming to my head. You didn't get through to them, you know, that was, that was horrible. You made, totally missed the mark. And I was just so frustrated beyond belief that uh, I threw my guitar in the car and I was just like, I just don't want to do this anymore. And like when those words came out of my mouth, I was like, I can't believe I just said that. <laughs> like I had to ask forgiveness, you know. Right, yeah. <laughs> Digger Jesus, forgive me. Um, but it's true. It was, it was like, it was like, no, it's like, for as hard as it'll ever be, it's it's such a gift from God, right. you know, that you push through the tough times. You know, thank God I did push through the tough times because, you know, I, I guess I could have said, ah, it's not worth it. I'll go work at Coconuts, you know. Yeah, you know. But I would have missed or out. Or Yeah. You know? I would have missed out on the multitudes of people that God's put in my path, you know, with the music. And um, I think it's a huge testament to anybody, any entrepreneur, that if you believe in what you do, right. when the moment comes to give up and go do something else, just think about all the potential people that are going to miss out. Yep. You know, um, it's unfortunate because I think a lot of people do. You know, I think a lot oh, of yeah. people just pack it in. Oh yeah, and there still is so much to offer, but. You know, like Kelly Clarkson says, man, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. There you know? go. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> well, I mean, the, the failure rate among, among entrepreneurs just in general is around 90%. Yeah. You know, I know for me, you know, um, being in 2013, you know, and building, you know, the Missouri Business Consultant Academy and now doing Year by View is a, a totally different venture. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things where, for me, like there was a time when it would be like May and September, and I was like, okay, mm. let's just... Let's just put one foot in front of the other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's not think about tomorrow too much. Let's mm-hmm. just think about the next hour or the next minute mm-hmm. because, you know, the phone calls ain't coming and, you know, mm-hmm. the appointments aren't getting made and the workshops aren't happening and the seminars aren't happening and, you know, the same level of detail that I put to my artistic craft, I'm telling you this, but n- no one seems to, you know, really be paying attention at yeah. this point. Um, and for me, I found, you know, and yeah, I mean, there were times I would sit in my car and I like grab the steering wheel, just screaming mm-hmm. <laughs> at like the diner on Vestal Parkways. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But once you get all that out, you know, yeah. once that once that comes out, once that once that happens, then for me anyway, I went back to core principles. Mm-hmm. You know, what are the core principles? Why am I here? Mm-hmm. Um, what's one thing that I can do today, right now, mm-hmm. that'll move me closer to my end goal? 
mm-hmm. you know, whatever that whatever that end goal is on the project or the end goal on closing a sales call or the end goal of creating a, um, a seminar or, you know, talking to somebody and, and planting a seed in their head or the end goal of going to a networking event. Whatever it is that will get me to that, I'm going to do work on that one thing mm-hmm. today, right now, and then I'm going to go sit on the couch and watch mm-hmm. Netflix, yeah. <laughs> you know. I mean, I, and the thing is, is, you know, I can't speak for everybody because I know that not everybody is in this position. But, you know, things I've already talked about is that, you know, I'm a firm believer in Christ. I'm, mm-hmm. I live my life on his principles and I live my life on his word. Yep. And so I can't say that this is, you know, this is the, uh, the path that everybody's on because I know not everybody's on that path. But as a Christian, I take so much confidence knowing that the only thing God requires for me to worry about or think about is today. Mm-hmm. In fact, he commands me to not think of worry about tomorrow. And that's so easy to do when, especially you're an entrepreneur, any kind of business owner, you know, um, when you start worrying about tomorrow, you're out of the mindset of Christ. Oh, yeah. Because he has put you in today mm-hmm. to do what he's called you to do today. Yeah. Tomorrow, it's taken care of. It's yep. got enough worries of its own. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And that has been such a huge comfort to me because, man, there's been times, like I said, where I felt like my career was done. I felt like, you know, the gigs aren't coming in, you know, you know, it just, it just felt like nothing was working. And it felt that way because I was looking three, six, nine, 12 months out, you Mm -hmm. know, but I wasn't looking at today. Right. Because if I worry about today and if I think to myself, you know what, man, go get your guitar and go write a song. And that one song could be the song that launches me into the next atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Tomorrow. It's not going to happen today, yeah. but it might happen tomorrow. And so, you know, I think that, you know, for me, just standing on that that principle of thinking about today mm-hmm. has been paramount in, in getting through. Yeah. You know, um, and the great thing about that, too, is that that's a promise that's open to everybody, right. you know. Anybody who calls on his name and says, God, I need you. Yeah. Because I will say that I would never be able to do what I do and sustain what I'm doing if it weren't for him yeah. and, and his promises. And, um, you know, it's just uh, every every entrepreneur is going to be different. And there's going to be other people that say, no, nah, man, I totally rely on my good looks. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, I've interviewed a couple uh, of those people. I, already, am, yeah. I am not that guy for sure. But, <laughs> right. Uh, but you know, it's it's when you start thinking about tomorrow, mm-hmm. and it's real easy to do. Um, that's when that's when things can seem bleak. But man, you just think about today, and yeah. what's that one idea that you could have today yeah. that could change the rest of your life? Yeah. You know, um, and it's powerful. What um, and I gotta ask you this question because you know, um, my wife wanted me to ask you this. Okay, I'm gonna ask you this because it's the question. <laughs> this is the question that. that my wife wanted me to ask you, so when she found out that I was that I was going to be interviewing you, so um, has your, has your work process, has your writing process changed since you had children, and how has it changed? Um, and you've got young kids too, yeah, you know, you, got, I mean, you know, they're like, yeah, you still they're hold them like oh, many toddlers, my, yeah, they're mini toddlers, yeah. like <laughs> you know, yeah, they, um, you know, I think because of just you know before you have kids and then when you have kids, <laughs> yes. 
everything you watch on TV or the way you shop or your whole <laughs> life gets thrown into that kiddie pool. So right. <laughs> for me, you know, creatively, I mean, I had kids and then I started writing kids songs. So mm-hmm. yeah. I, I think I don't think that's a coincidence. Right. You know, I think that that's uh, that just my surroundings rubbed off on my creativity and. You know, uh, I'm writing songs like Wiggling and Giggle and Shake and Jake, you know. Um, so that song definitely was inspired by my daughter. Yeah, there you um, go. Yeah. She is a dancer already. Yep. Um, so, yeah, yeah, and also, you know, there's a lot more at stake now. It's not just me. I'm not just a guy, you know, only consumed with himself. I have a wife, and so I have to think about how am I going to provide for her? Now I've got two other little kids mm-hmm. and you know, it's like, I shouldn't say other little kids because they're the only <laughs> no, kids. They, uh, is there something there's, good there's, here? There's, there's no other kids other hiding in closets <laughs> in other states. Um, but, uh, it's no, they, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but I mean, you know, now that I have these two kids, it's like, yeah, okay, um, this is for real and, you know, this isn't just like for fun. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like kind of make it or break it. And it's something that I don't ever really worry about, like, oh, my gosh, I have to be a success because I've got a family to take care of. Because, you know, I'm I'm just, day by day, I'm floating by the grace of God, and I'm going through the doors that he's opening. Mm-hmm. And I've had doors that close. You know, yeah. I've had gigs fall through, and I've had, you know, schools call me up and cancel for whatever reason. And, you know, you can look at that and say, well, where was God in that? Mm-hmm. But, I mean, for me, it's like, hey, you know, one door closes, another one opens, and you know, he gives and takes away. And through it all, you just have that same spirit, you know, blessed be the name of the Lord and Absolutely. keep cruising. And, you know, I think for me, being a being a dad, being a husband, uh, it's just that focus on, you know, let's make sure, you know, you're doing your, your absolute best. Thank you know? God. Very good. Well, I'm a, I'm a conflict resolution guy, so i got to ask you the conflict question. Um, you've, got, you've got two brothers. Yes. Yeah. No, we can what, talk about conflict. Well, we're going to talk about conflict now. <laughs> so. The last fist fight we had, I pulled a knife. So I, think we're, I think I was 13. Uh, yeah, we had some conflict in our youth. Yeah. yeah doing yeah. great now. Yeah, doing great now. Yeah. Oh, well, you know, it's, it's, it's weird because, you know, as like I, I got, you know, I got three sisters. Uh-huh. So I've got, I've got two that are younger than me. Yeah. And, um, you know, at a certain point, you know, when you're all, and we're all like within two years of each other. Mm-hmm. So, um, when you're like 10, 8, and 12, like they're all relatively the same yeah. strength wise, yeah. you know, relatively the same kind of height wise, yeah. you know. But then after that, the distances become a little mm-hmm. bit more meaningful. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not, I mean, at 16, I'm not going to whack my 14 year old sister in the head. Like, it's not going right. to happen. We're going to figure out a different way to kind of have that conflict. Um, and I had sisters too, I never had brothers. Right. And so, um, that's one thing that I always feel like I missed out on. I would have loved to have had a either an somebody older brother, to beat on. Just somebody to, yeah. or someone to whack on me, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know? Um, because I didn't, I didn't really have that. Yeah. But talk to me about kind of growing up in that house with. I mean, I, I, I'm reminded of um, of the verse in the Bible, you know, about you know the sons of thunder. You yeah. Know, James the sons. Of, mm-hmm. Like I look at I look at your brothers. Oh yeah. And it's like. All y'all together, like, yeah. oh, Lord, that house yeah. has been rocking and rolling. <laughs> yes, our grocery bill was large. <laughs> you know, growing up as kids, um, I got to say, like, for our whole lives, our, my brothers and I, we have such a deep love and respect for one another. And even when we're beating each other up like crazy, we still, you know, it's like if, if we were in the middle of punching each other in the face <laughs> and then somebody from the outside 
made yeah. a comment about one of us. Oh, forget we'd it. We'd stop punching each other and we'd <laughs> yeah. go lay the beating on them, you know? Because <laughs> right, yeah. um, we, we definitely stuck up for each other. We had a lot of fights growing up as kids. Uh, fist fights. I was thrown through some walls and doors uh, by my older brother. And this is how it worked, too. Like, I, here's how it always started. I would pick on my younger brother and yeah. do some beating on him. And then right. my older brother would come in and, and finish me off. And, uh, <laughs> and he would be the, you know, the, the rescuer through that. But... You know, honestly, we, we did stop we did stop our fighting you know early on yeah. in, in the teenage years, um, and really, as far as conflict goes, there we really didn't have um, conflict really after that after after all the petty stuff like who mm-hmm. won the video game or who ate the last piece of pizza like yeah. when all that stuff was over like we didn't really have you know major any kind of major family conflict or. Anything like that. Um, you know, for me being a musician, my brothers were always extremely um, supportive of my career. And in turn, you know, we've, I've been that way for them. We've all been, been that way for each other. Um, I think, you know, as far as like how maybe that shaped my mind in, you know, in terms of outside the family or, yeah. you know. And what kind of approach do you have when, like you said, you know, your yeah. business end falls apart? Like that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a place where, you know, if you're not having, at least I would imagine that, you know, I don't have an agent, you know, I do yeah. everything myself, but, um, you know, when business stuff falls apart for me, I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> like I, I got to, and I got to step back and remember my training and remember, mm-hmm. you know, what I think about and all those kinds of things that should come secondarily and they do for me sometimes, mm-hmm. but then there's other times when I got to take a step back. Mm-hmm. Everybody goes up into different kinds of types of environments and has different types of experiences. So how was growing up in that environment helpful or, or not helpful in engaging with those types of experiences outside of that environment? I think that um, because we were so physical in our conflict when we were young, mm-hmm. I think it could have been really easy for me to take that physical approach, you know, even into my adulthood. And if there was a conflict, you know, just mm-hmm. take out the person. <laughs> you know? right. um, but I was, I have never been that way. For me, um, I am like a it just takes a lot to get me over the edge. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it comes to conflict, um, I really, I don't like conflict at all. Um, and I will do everything I can to avoid conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always, 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 always step back and look at, well, what, am I in the wrong here? Like, am I doing something? I think a lot of times people don't do that. Yeah. And it's always, I'm right and you're wrong. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> where, I, where I am, yes. I am definitely not that way. I am always like, okay, what did I do? What did I say? What? How did I come across? Or, you know, and anything like that. And, Was there uh, anything I could have done better or done right, differently? Yeah. Right. I really, really check myself over. Uh, and then I'm really a huge believer in very few words because I think sometimes people just like to rattle their jaw and and talk, 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 talk about situations when it comes to conflict. And you get in trouble when you do that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think very carefully about my words when I use them. Um, but yeah, as far as as far as like the conflict, you know, in, in the home, how it was dealt with, and um, how that how that how I worked through that as a kid, and you know, I would just say I came from a great family. I came from a great family of love and understanding and being trustworthy and walking in integrity. And I think when you when you add all those things together and you step out into the business world. Um, when you try to maintain integrity, when conflict comes, as long as you can check yourself, and that's not to say like I don't ever do anything wrong, because there's been plenty of times where I've made 
stupid mistakes, you know, said things I shouldn't have said. Uh, and I always seek to, to seek forgiveness, you know, with those things. You know, even with the fallout with, um, you know, my, some of my agents and different things like that. In the heat of it, you know, I said some things I shouldn't have said. And um, I had to ask forgiveness for that, you know. But then there was, I worked with a guy out of Nashville for a sh- very short stint um, who I just never really got the greatest vibe from. And um, I didn't have to say a lot of words to him when conflict arose because it was just like, eh, this isn't working out anymore. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and uh, and so, yeah. and, and you know, and so for me it's just like really, really choose your words and, and look at the situation. Try to do your best looking at the situation from everyone's eyes, right? you know, instead of just your own. Yeah. Um, so, but thankfully I don't have much conflict in my life right now. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah, that's, that's good. Yeah. See, you're not my client. Yeah, right. <laughs> you're not. You're not. You're not the person yeah. that I seek out. Right. right. Sorry. It's, it's okay. It's all right. You know what? Taking 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 bread out of my <laughs> taking bread off my plate. That's all right. Don't worry about it. I'll go create some conflict. Um, what are some What are some ways that um? Well, you, you talked about integrity, and you know we've talked about kind of how you define integrity and what that means for you. Um. And how that integrity manifests in the creative work that you do and how you approach that. Um, and, you know, integrity in the business world. Um, integrity, I think, is something that doesn't get talked a lot about. Mm-hmm. And if it does, it always gets talked about in kind of a heady kind of mm-hmm. over here somewhere. That you can't attain. And, yeah. yeah. Well, what's an ex- can you give me an example or a story of, and you're, you're, you're giving me great stories here. Mm-hmm. So can you give me an example or a story here kind of of, Maybe a time when you know your integrity said, "Hey, yeah, we're done here." You know. Um. First one I think about <clears throat> when I think about integrity, I think about what I talk to my elementary school students about from second to ki- sec- or excuse me, from kindergarten through second grade. I talk to them about doing the right thing, mm-hmm. and when you're at that age, you know if it means somebody drops a dollar in the cafeteria line, you don't pick it up and keep it. You don't go buy yourself a candy bar. You give it back to them because that's the right thing to do. Uh, I talk to them about uh, being inclusive. If a new girl comes to school and she doesn't have a place to sit, you invite her to come and sit with you because mm-hmm. that's the right thing to do. So at a, such a you know such a young age, such an elementary idea, it translates immensely into the adult world when you're doing business. Um, there's been times where, you know, I'm just trying to think of like a, a situation maybe where my integrity was like challenged or, you know, had an opportunity to do something and, and had to choose to do the right thing. Nothing's really coming to mind other than just like, you know, I could really take somebody to the cleaners and charge them X amount of money. Right. You know, yeah. When I know they that would be an over a huge stretch for them. Yeah. And you know I look at my clients or who I'm working with as just trying to be fair. And if I was in their shoes, what's the kind of deal that I would be hoping to get different things like that? Um, I phrase I tend to phrase as collaborative partnerships uh-huh. and building collaborative partnerships with people. And so the money can't be first. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Know? Because I'm in the peace building business. Yeah. It, it, and I often I'll often blog about this. You know how peace building and feeding your family shouldn't be exclusive. Mm-hmm. I, I never believe that. That's mm-hmm. one of the ethics that I move forward. So, 
I'm going to get paid for my work. I'm yeah. going to get paid for my expertise and for my experience Absolutely. and for my education and for what I put into this game. Like yeah, I was, right. I it's just worth it. You know, yep. It's worth it. But I'm also not going to nickel and dime somebody mm -hmm. to death. Um, I am going to do things for free. Mm -hmm. You know, I am going to build platforms where I give away things for free. Right. Like it's just going to happen. Right. Because I believe in that too. That to me, that's part of integrity, particularly yep. in a collaborative economy. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I just think you know, in dealing business, probably the reason why integrity is not discussed so much is because a lot of people ignore it. Unfortunately, a lot of people are all are just looking out for themselves, and um, I'm not called to live a life like that. And so, um, you know, I just make sure in in whatever I'm doing that that's not the way I'm I'm living. Um, you know, and as far as integrity goes, um, creatively, you know, I remember like I was playing the bars for a long time and. And it was it was it was a time in my life where I just felt like I was not really like in the pocket of where I needed to be with my walk with the Lord, and uh, I definitely went through some years of wandering, you know, from the path a little bit. But I'll never forget like the last bar that I played, the last bar I ever played. The the manager came up to me and he said, you know, I want you rocking so hard tonight that. People are just wasted, and you're getting bras and panties thrown at you, and blah blah blah. And I was just like, dude, this is not where I'm supposed to be. Is, yeah. You know, um, is that moment where you're like, I what? And I, and I and I purposely played like the worst set of my life, and I I just played like landslide by like Fleetwood Mac for like 25, for 25 minutes. minutes. I got people wicked depressed. <laughs> I laughed and went. To, no, but I mean, it was like, you know. It's as far as like integrity for me and where I felt like I was supposed to be using my music, that wasn't it. And so, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, there was a point in my life where I needed to make a change, you know. And yeah. so, um, so I did. But I, you know, like I said, it all comes back to the the elementary principle of doing the right thing. Yeah. That's what integrity is all about. Yeah. And as long as you do the right thing, and even if people get angry and people don't. It, a lot of times people get mad at the right thing, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. um, and, and if they do, you have nothing to worry about because, right. you know, in your heart and in your mind, you've done the right thing and you're standing on the principles that you believe in. Yep. Excellent. So. Well, very good. Well, um, you know, before we before we close here tonight or today, um, still day? Yeah, still day. Okay. Um, <laughs> um Got to ask you, you know, the, the Asian, I got I to gotta ask you the question. Okay. You know, you're a music guy. I got to ask you the question, okay. <laughs> you know. Um, and I, I, got, I already got your answer kind of off off mic um, okay. a little bit there. But I am. I'm going to, I got to ask everybody. Ask me, bro. I got to ask everybody. So, you know, if a fair fight were to occur, okay. um, hypothetically, just okay. a hypothetical battle, right? Between, like, you got Neil Young in one corner and you got Bob Dylan in the other corner. Yes. I mean, these are two, like, skinny, rangy guys. Yes. Both folk music kind of guys. Um, both, I imagine, pretty good with their hands. You know, I've been actually, I've actually been to Bob Dylan's hometown in okay. Minnesota. You know, know a little bit about Dylan. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, Bob Dylan, Neil Young, in their prime. I'm in talking, prime. like, 60s, 70s. Yes. Who would win? Uh, I, you know... Honestly, I'd probably have to go with Dylan uh, because I feel like Neil Young, if he if he tried to even start talking smack, Bob Dylan would come at him with so many lyrical punches that 
You know, Bob Dylan is is an unbelievable singer songwriter. There's a lot of you know weird stuff out there, but I mean, look at the Beatles. Mm-hmm. You don't tell me there's weird stuff in the Beatles, and you know what we're talking about. But I mean, there, there's genius in it. And uh, you know, yeah, I'd, I'd maybe give it to Dylan. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, you seem. Yeah. You seem hesitant. I'm asking you as an expert. You know, you're I, and, an expert and, in and the thing is, I don't, I don't feel like I am an expert in that because <laughs> I'm not, I'm not the biggest Dylan or Young follower. Well, and that's why it's a good question because um, you're just passionate. I used you're to not... always do a, a Taylor impression of Neil Young though. What? Um, is, oh, you got it. You got it in there. I've been to Hollywood. I've been to Redwood. I've been searching for a heart of gold. How's that? How's that? Not bad, that's right? That's that's Don't ask me to do Dylan. <laughs> yeah, I'm the hen of here. I think that. No. All right, I'm done with the impressions. Yeah. Yeah, we're done with you. We're going to move on from the uh, from the ventriloquist part of the show. Yeah. <laughs> yes, okay. I've done many impressions in my day. How many impressions have you done? Oh, lots. I've won awards. This is like a rabbit hole. Um, <laughs> You're bringing me down this, this okay, rabbit hole. Yeah, I will. Okay, we'll, yeah. end, we'll end on this. Are we ending? Are we wrapping up? Well, you we... got impressions, so no, we're not okay, wrapping. Okay. Yeah, you got, you got I, something? Okay, when I was in high school, I was sitting in a history class, and a kid behind me tapped me on the shoulder, and he said, Hey, Jerry, he's like, did you hear about the radio contest this weekend? I said, no. He said, I said, what's going on? He said, if you go and you do your favorite Saturday Night Live character impression, yeah. and you win... You get tickets to Saturday Night Live and a limo ride down and back. So I left my history class and I called up the radio station. I said, is this true? They said, yeah. I said, well, cool. I said, I'm just calling to let you know I'm going to win. And they were like, really? I said, yeah, I'll be the guy doing Chris Farley. And so I went and I dressed up like Chris Farley. Yes. Matt Foley motivation. Matt Foley in a van down by the river. Oh wait, this is this is the extent of what I did. I put it, you know, put the pillow in my shirt, dressed up with the shirt and tie, slicked my hair to the side, and I had my wood shop teacher make me a coffee table that was splinted that would break upon impact. That's awesome. And I did the whole skit like, "Hey Brian, what are you gonna be when you grow up?" Well, naughty freaking dog, right? And I would do this whole thing. Yes, and I won, and I went to Saturday Night Live in a limo, down and back. Went to the um, the VIP cast party afterwards, and met like Jimmy Fallon and Chris Kattan. The only one this was after Farley had passed away, unfortunately. But the only one that I didn't meet that was there that I really wanted to meet was Will Ferrell. Yeah, I didn't meet him that night, but um, yeah, it was wild. So yeah, I've done a lot of impressions uh, in my day. I'm not shaking this person's yes. hand. Yes, I'm not shaking this. I'm not shaking my yes. guest's hand. Absolutely. That was amazing. That was an amazing impression. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you, uh, yeah. Jared Campbell. You never coming, know what you're going to get. You right? never know right. what you're going to get. <laughs> We're coming on the uh, on the Earbud You podcast. Um, we want to thank our sponsors here, um, as well as all of our participants, and of course you, our audience. Check out Earbud You on EarbudU.com, and check out our website, Human Services Consulting and Training. Please follow us on Facebook at HSCT, as well as connect with us on LinkedIn and on Twitter at EarbudU. We are also on Instagram, so you should probably um, go take a picture of listening to your of yourself listening to the podcast, and then put it on Instagram and follow us. Yeah. All right. Absolutely. <laughs> Anything else for today? That's it, my man. Awesome. Thank you very much, Jared. I yeah. appreciate it. Absolutely. All right.